Uh, the middle of the week and a busy old day on RTE Radio 1. This is Playback Daily. I'm Carol Moran and here's what you might have missed. So, that's it. My money's gone. And, My and, holiday's gone. And your children and your grandchildren and, and your lumps. Oh, they're all devastated. And I feel such a fool. Really? Like people have given out to me and said I was a fool. I fell for it, but... I genuinely thought it was safe. You know, you get kind of as angry as a man would normally be, but but we <laughs> but we get a cream <laughs> to get rid of it. What does a man get? <laughs> Nothing. They're just allowed to be angry. You know, you're just allowed to have that level have of, that of testosterone. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know. And I'm like, why? I finally felt like my husband, but now I get a gel. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing we should do is look at our the clothes that we already have, because the clothes that we already have are the most sustainable ones. Mm-hmm. And we'll start in the afternoon and a terrible disappointment on the live line as retired nurse Miriam called Joe about her once in a lifetime Disney trip. It's an awful story, Miriam. I'm so sorry to hear that you've lost um, a, a lot of money, a lot of money, it seems, to this company called Felix Holidays. And apparently okay. they're based in F-E-L-I-X. Tell us how you first uh, came to have dealings with them, Miriam. So, Joe, I retired as a midwife two years ago from the Lord's Hospital and I got a lump sum from the HSE and I decided I would treat my family of nine kids, grandkids, everyone to a holiday in Orlando, Florida, the holiday of a lifetime. So I was researching it myself and then I came across a page on Facebook that looked very legitimate yeah. and had an Atoll stamp on it, okay, which is yeah. like an insurance thing Guarantee, that covers them. Yeah. 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 And uh, they were offering, not that they were offering a cheap deal, it wasn't a too good to be true offer, it was just they would do the whole package for me. Good point, the yeah. Villa, yeah the Disney tickets and the flights without me having to do everything separately. So I thought it would be safer to go that way in case there had to be any changes or anything happened, at least it would be all in one. So I contacted them and um, I was given all the details, the flight, the airlines, everything that suits and it all looked great. And then I was to pay them. I also liked that I could pay them back every month rather than a lump sum. So it wasn't a huge lump out of my money. So I paid the deposit and then I set up a bank transfer with them every month as per their request. And at the end of every month, I would get an invoice saying they had received the payment. So my final payment was was on the 23rd of March. And that was the last payment of £13,734. I was paying in pounds through um, my AIB bank in Newry because my husband's English. Yeah. So he gets okay. attention there and we have a UK bank. And I didn't get an invoice from them, which I normally would. So I contacted them through Facebook Messenger, which is how I had always contacted them, to say I had paid my last payment and when would I get my tickets. And immediately this pop-up message came up that said, okay. please note our director has not paid the staff or does not respond to us. So we have discontinued call centre operations. And they told me to feel free to contact Felix Holidays and they gave the address and the phone number. So I... What was your reaction when you saw that? Oh, Jesus. My heart started to just... uh, It was just beating really quickly. And my husband was sitting beside me and I said to him, oh my God, something terrible has happened. So anyway, he looked up, Googled it, and there was some stuff on Google about it. Anyway, I did try and ring him, and there was no answer. And I also have sent him three emails, 
and I've had very little response. Usually this pop-up keeps keeps coming if you try on Messenger. But then the other day, a new message came up and it was just, we are trying to contact customers one by one. um, And that was it. So I got onto the bank um, because I thought maybe I'd get the money back from them. And it was the AIB and URI, like I said, but they contacted me yesterday and said, no, that they are not giving me back the money. I can try uh, through their chargeback scheme to get the 1,000 euro deposit that I paid through my debit card, but not the bank transfers. So that's it. My money's gone. Um, My holiday is gone. And your children and your grandchildren and, and your lump sum. Oh, they're all devastated. And I feel such a fool. You know, like people have given out to me and said I was a fool. I fell for it. But I genuinely thought it was safe. They had brilliant trust pilot reviews. Yeah. And they had that ATAL stamp. Yeah. So I really thought and it was all going to happen. The ATAL stamps, uh, it's a government civil aviation authority in the UK and their, their, uh, their logo is uh, peace of mind. Your holiday is yes. protected. So Joe asked Miriam what she knew about the company Felix Holidays. They're based in London, yeah, and they seemed legitimate, like I said. On Trustpilot, they had five-star reviews, and I just thought it was a simple way to book a complicated yeah, course, holiday yeah, for nine yeah. people. And I have to say, when I dealt with this one person all the time, he was very good, very accommodating, he actually had to change the dates for me because my son is in college and his final dates were changed and they accommodated me with that and charged me an extra £1,569 because I was going later. I didn't mind paying that. But yeah. then when all this happened and I checked with the airline, I have a friend who works with the airline. She was able to check through the reservations manager. There was never a booking made, not on the original date of the 7th of May and not on the new date, the 21st of May. Not even a booking for a group with names to be advised, nothing. So then I got on to Disney because I actually yeah. have official Disney tickets okay. on the My Disney Experience app. And when the person, it was a third party they used, bed on online, okay. they were able to see that, yes, the tickets were there, but payment pending uh, by admin at felixcolleges.co.uk. So they never even, even though they sent, they, they... Yeah. So they have, they can cancel them. The Disney can if they're not paid for 24 hours beforehand. Um, yeah. Have you yeah. had, a, you, you've had something in writing from a man called Lucas. Yeah. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. And what did, Luke, what did Lucas say? So it was the messenger, the Facebook messenger page. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. The, so I've been contacting them on a daily basis, just writing, where is my money? I want my refund. Yeah. Where is my holiday? So initially, since this happened, that pop-up message just keeps coming up about that he's not paid the staff. But then two days ago, there yeah. was just a short message and it said, we are dealing with people one by one and we will get to you. But I said, I am one of the people, so deal with me, please. Yeah. But I got no response to that. He's not answering the phone. He hasn't answered the three emails I sent him. The only contact I had was that on their Facebook Messenger page. Miriam there. Then Sarah called Joe about booking a trip also with Felix Holidays. Well, I booked a holiday last October. 
Um, it was meant to be for a joint celebration. Mm. It was my daughter's birthday and it was also the day after was my son's confirmation. Okay. Um, and I'm rather than have two parties, um, yeah. I decided to bring them to Disneyland. Mm. Um, but my little girl, the, the one having the birthday, she had a stroke a couple of years ago. So she's mm-hmm. she's been through a lot. And then COVID happens and everything. So I wanted to do something extra special for them. Um, I looked around travel agencies and I have five children. Um, so I have a large family. So it was costing an absolute fortune to do it. And um, Felix were one of the travel agencies that was going to allow us all be in the same room, a big, huge family room, oh, because okay. the other companies were saying, no, you'll have to book two rooms, and it was crazy money. Um, so I checked them out. I went through hundreds of reviews. They sounded amazing, and I'm not just talking about recent reviews. I went back through a couple of years, um, I also you see, I'm joined. Even, you uh, see, I'm even. I'm even. Um, j- just to just to clarify, Miriam. Even when we look up Felix in England, there's there's quite a few legitimate companies. Actually, some of them are are, are food banks and charity great yeah. companies um, who go under Felix.co.uk. They pick the name that's quite common. Um, and even the places I've mentioned there earlier, Enfield and Cambridge, they've. As far as I can see, they've nothing to do with this crowd, Felix Holidays. Uh, so, I've, anyway, you, yeah, Sarah, tell us how you, you came across them then. Um, so, I, um, I joined this Facebook group called Disneyland Tips for the Irish, a brilliant group. Okay. And they give you loads of tips of, oh, you know, where to eat when you're over there and where you can get to your local pennies. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. The train, okay. the train stations, everything. Can, like, can, really, you, get, really can you get Tato and Kimberly biscuits? <laughs> <And> <laughs> Where's the lion's Okay. <laughs> Where's the lion's tea? Um, <laughs> but um, they they were brilliant. So I um, joined that group and I also went on, put a post up in that group and I said, right, I'm trying to book Disneyland Paris for myself and my partner and my kids. I said, um, mm-hmm. is this a good price? Uh, this is off Felix Holidays. Has anybody heard of Felix Holidays? Have you used them? Got a couple of likes and some some girl came on. She goes, oh my God, they're amazing. Um, I just came back from Disneyland Paris and they sorted everything out for me, transfers, everything. And okay. that's actually a good price. And I was like, then I was a bit suspicious of her. Does she work for them? Yeah, you know, because yeah. anybody can join that group. Yeah, and yeah. she looked like you know she was legit. She she posted up loads of posts herself. Sorry, girls, does anybody you know where I'd get this? I'm over here now, and she had pictures up with our daughter, and everything looked legit there. Um, so I decided I, I I was having conversations with um um. So I did. I felt like I thoroughly checked them out. Really like. Yeah. And um, I paid the deposit, and on the first of every month, then um, we were paying install in installments. Um, and it was only there about 
two or three weeks ago, mate, no, sorry, three or four weeks ago, um, I was scrolling through Facebook and seen on the Disneyland tips for the Irish, okay. um, some girl had put up a post and she said, um, she said, I'm over here with my family and 14 other families stuck in an airport in France and anybody who has booked a holiday with Felix okay. travel, it doesn't exist. There's no hotels, there's oh no God. Disneyland park tickets. It's night time now. We're in an airport with young children. Can anybody please um, tell us, is there any accommodation available? We're, we're, we're looking everywhere here and we just don't know where to go. And then other families yeah. um, that were there joined and said, it's disgraceful. We've saved for a whole year. We've paid for the holiday. And now we find we're ringing relatives, begging and pleading with them to transfer money like beggars when we've paid for the holiday and it's yeah. time to enjoy the holiday now. Well, that's Sarah then. Then Josenka called Joe. Oh, my God. Okay. When can I start it? Okay, I'm from Croatia. I lost my husband before four years. Okay. And since then, I come every year for a couple of months to Ireland for work. Okay. Because uh, that's only what I can do in okay. my country. The salary is so low. So I earn some money, and I have a granddaughter. She's a four years. Okay. I wanted to surprise her to buy a present for the birthday so that she can remember that that the princes are real, that the fairy tales existing. Yeah. I saw Felix Holidays on on the site. Yeah. I booked the trip to Paris, supposed to be from 16 to 18 March. Yeah. I pay deposit on January 6th and rest of the money I pay on 23rd January. The amount is about... One hundred and two hundred, one thousand and two hundred euro. Yeah, that's the huge money for me. Yeah, of course. If you consider that I receive monthly in Croatia three hundred euro monthly, and I have prices same as in Dublin. Okay. So that's for me it's important. So it's four, it's four months. So, yes, yeah, salary. Yeah, go ahead. So yeah. when when did you realize it was gone, Jasenka? Uh, three days before the trip, they called me. Yeah. And they told me that the tra- uh, the trip is cancelled, and uh, they will refund me my, my money back. And I told them I give you ten days. After that, I yeah. I don't know. I was so angry. I told them I will come to England. I will find you. I want my money. Yeah. For me, it's that fortune. I lost everything, and I uh, disappointed my granddaughter. Yeah. She's packing a. Uh, Course, and she yeah, was look, so exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can you explain to child of four years? You know, they're they rob you, they steal you, they make a fool of you. You cannot go. Yeah. Joe Senka there. Then Laura called Joe about her dealings with Felix Holidays in 2022. You made a booking with Felix Holidays. dot uk in 2022. What happened? Yes. So a group of us booked to go to Disneyland for March 2023. Yeah. Um, there was a group of 54 of us all together. Um, so one member out of our group kind of took it upon herself on all of our behalf to deal with them for us. 
Um, so we've done the book and everything was fine. Um, from the start, that was kind of a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Um, there was kind of charges and stuff that were being added, for instance, after we kind of all got our flights and everything was kind of set, they sent out um, our details. They then wanted to split the group up, so half had to travel in the morning and the other half would have to travel in the evening. And anybody who'd done that had to pay a fee to go out early that morning. So So some people did do that, which worked out about €40 per person for us to travel in the morning. And then they added charges on from the hotel of... 12 euro each for breakfast and stuff then so just kind of throughout the book and they were adding bits and pieces on here and there for different things so so you're so the, the, you were being asked for more money all along did were felix paying the money to the places that were so this is what happened we all got obviously our tickets our flight tickets um, where our seats and stuff now a few different things like a few of the kids names and stuff were mister instead of miss and miss yeah, instead yeah. of mister we rang um, the airline we were travelling with they said that that wouldn't be a problem it just happens sometimes um, so there was little things like that but anyway we all flew we went to the airport we got on the plane the morning group and we had a private transfer pick us up from the airport to bring us to the apartments we were staying in Okay. So the group of us with our kids arrived at the apartment hotels and we all queued up behind each other waiting to check in, obviously. Yeah. And the hotel staff informed us that we owed €5,500 to stay there for the three days. Oh, for God's sake. So obviously all of us went into panic mode. We didn't know whether they had thought we didn't pay or maybe the lady who was dealing with everything, she was on the evening flight. So we were all kind of obviously ringing her and trying to see what was going on and stuff. And God love her, she was getting it from air end, every end. So mm. she said, no, no, I've transferred over the money. It was all paid. Everything was fine. So her in the background then was trying to get on to Lucas and the company and stuff and um, to kind of say what had happened. And his kind of response was, it's okay, it's sorted. It was kind of paid type of thing. But... The lady in the hotel then rang the manager. Um, he came and it was his day off. He brought us all into a conference room and he informed us that um, the hotel was never paid for any of our stay, that yeah. he had tried to charge a credit card three times and it didn't work. Um, it was declined and he was informed by Lucas himself that when we all arrived, we'd be paying cash on arrival. This was his first time ever dealing with that company either. And the man was lovely. He was really, really helpful. And he was so lovely. So he yeah. said the only reason he agreed to letting us pay cash when we arrived is because it was such a big group. And it was so short at the time we arrived. He didn't want to kind of put pressure on us to pay over the phone and stuff. Um, so that was that. That was that kind of big shock. And then while we were standing in the queue, a few of the mams, myself were talking about the Disney tickets mm-hmm. and we had got our Disney tickets a few days beforehand that was fine you can save them onto the app yeah of course, so yeah. you can put them on your child's name yeah. and you know yourself so I said no no mine was working yesterday I said I was only double checking because you can pre-book things mm-hmm. and one of the mams said no mine's gone so I went onto my Disney app as well and 
the tickets had, it came up, these tickets are no longer in use. So all our Disney tickets had been cancelled and we had obviously paid for them. Um, with Felix, all our tickets had been cancelled and they were no longer in use. So we were now in Disneyland with all our kids, no hotel, no park tickets, no nothing. Oh, for God's sake. The only thing that worked out for us was the fact that we were able to get on that flight. And how much, how much did you lose, Laura? So all together as a group, obviously it's different yeah, yeah. Um, for everyone, like different costs and stuff. But €22,890. Laura on the live line with Joe Duffy. And on Today with Claire Byrne, it was back to Adam Maguire's inflation shopping basket a year after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, just under a year ago on the programme, we started our inflation shopping basket where we looked at the common items in our weekly shop and then we charted how much they were rising in price and why. So pasta, tomatoes, cooking oil, toilet rolls, flour and biscuits, they were just some of the things that we took a close look at. Adam Maguire, RT business journalist, is back today. Adam carried out all of that research for his last year and he's now looking at how prices have changed for consumers and shoppers uh, when it comes to those weekly staples that we all rely on. Adam, you're back. How are you? With the shopping basket. Um, so what's been happening since? Yeah, uh, bad things really. <laughs> I, I mean, this is a good time to look at this because we now have the full year uh, since the start of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which of course is the point at which prices really got sent into overdrive. And uh, as people may know, the rate of inflation in Ireland is easing. Uh, prices rose by 7.7% in the year to March, according to the Central Statistics Office. That's compared to 8.5% in the year to February. And, and it's well down on the, the more than 9 percent rate that we would have seen a couple of times last year. It does mean, of course, prices are still rising, of course, but at least the flow is easing a bit and the downward trend, we hope, is going to continue for the next few months. The main reason for that slowing is because the rate of energy price increases has eased off. Um, now, aside from home eating oil, we haven't actually seen prices fall. We're all still waiting for that to happen, but at least the increase isn't as dramatic as, as it mm-hmm. was uh, last year. But while things are beginning to ease in the likes of energy, food prices are actually continuing to climb. And the CSO said food prices were 13.3% higher in the year to March. That's the same as the increase we saw in the year to February. It's actually higher than what we saw in the year to January. So it's picking up pace. Uh, According to Kantar, grocery prices are actually 16.8% higher now compared to a year ago. It's basing that figure on, on kind of the average shopping basket. It would be different to how the CSO calculates this kind of broader look at, at food items. But if you take the Kantar figure, they're, they're saying the consumers are spending upwards of €1,200 extra a year on their groceries, assuming they're not making changes like switching to cheaper items or own brand items or mm-hmm. trying to, to manage the cost. I, I wonder how hard it is to measure because when I go to the supermarket, I ask myself, how small can that roll of toilet roll get? You know, there, there are other yeah. ways to change the prices. Absolutely. And we spoke about uh, shrinkflation uh, uh, last week and, the, the, you know, there are lots of different factors and the size of packaging changes, the prices, the, the combination if you're buying, you know, 12 or 24 or whatever it might be. So it is very hard to know for sure. So where are we seeing the biggest price increases then? Yeah, unfortunately, as you say, it's a lot of the staple foods that, that you know, the first things that we jot down on our on our shopping lists uh, when, when we're heading to the shops. Dairy, for example, has seen some significant price rises in the past year. Uh, according to CSO, whole milk now more than 24% more expensive than it was in March of last year. Butter is 21% more expensive. Cheese nearly 17% dear. It's it not just dairy though. Eggs, 
eggs 20% dearer year on year chicken more than 16% more expensive and that's a, a big contributor to the fact that meat overall that category is 14% dearer pork price is also well up at 14.4% higher beef and veal 10% dearer so so quite a jump there lamb and goat is up 5% which is actually actually quite a modest increase when mm-hmm. you put it in the context of everything else. Interestingly, offal prices actually down year on year. They're, they fell by 3.5% in March 2022. So if, if you're looking for a bargain, offal is Offal is, is the go. way to go. Not for me, but each to their <laughs> own. So what about drinks then? Yeah, they've not escaped the increases either. Uh, coffee now 14.2% higher. Now that would be the, the cost of like a bag of coffee in the shop. It wouldn't be the, the coffee you'd get in a, in a, a cafe or a takeaway. Uh, that's definitely gone up as well, but it's bunched in by the CSO with restaurants and takeaways so it's hard to know the exact figure but a bag of coffee in the shop 12 or 14.2 percent higher tea up more than seven percent uh, if you're looking for something a bit stronger alcoholic beverages 4.7 percent more expensive again not as dramatic as you might think and, yeah. and compared to other things uh, beer prices up seven percent spirit prices are just three percent higher so quite a modest increase uh, uh, but it's actually the sweeter stuff that we're seeing really significant uh, uh, changes in prices soft drinks 13.9 percent higher year on year in price at uh, mineral or Spring water is 13.5% higher, so a good bit more expensive in, in the past year. So we want to know the why now. Why is that happening? Yeah, essentially what we're seeing is a, is a lag between what, what you'd call input prices for producers and, and the price that we pay at the till. So if you go back to consumer prices from June of last year, that's when inflation overall hit 9.1% for the first time, uh, thanks to energy jumping by 60%. Food prices had only risen by 7% at that stage. It's actually half the rate that we're seeing at the moment. But if you kind of go back to square one on that and you imagine you know, a farmer raising cattle or growing fruit or veg, their energy bill in the middle of last year was 60% higher, but it's still weeks or even months before the thing that they're growing or producing is actually sold it's the on. Shops, yeah. yeah. So so it's at that time then, you know, months down the line possibly that's the point at which they look to make up for the higher cost of their energy bills and, and the producing the food. Of course, then, you know, the cost of transporting and packaging has gone up as well for the same reasons that gets added on. Maybe they sell to to a, a processor company which uses energy to turn it into some kind of processed food or something, some other product that uses energy as well. That, that gets tacked on and then the retailer finally gets it. And it's costing them more to keep the, the heat and, and, and the lights on. Uh, so they add their bit of cost as well. So this is the point at which it hits the consumer at the till. So it's a long time to get from, from farm to fork and it can take time then for those higher costs faced by the producer to actually hit us in the pockets. So it all then still comes back to energy prices. It's definitely still a major factor. I think a good example of this is the price of, of fish. Uh, according to the CSO, the price of fresh or chilled fish was up more than 11% in the year to March but the price of frozen fish was up nearly 27% in the same period. Now, fresh fish, fish would be the, the traditionally the, the premium product. It still is more expensive, you know, pound for pound. And it's not a completely like-for-like comparison in fairness. You know, the type of fish you get frozen will be different to, to fresh usually. But I think the common denominator there is that it takes more energy to freeze food and it gets frozen for longer uh, than it does to just chill it and, and to sell it in a short space of time. And, and that probably accounts for a big part of that difference in terms of the increases that we've seen in the uh, in the price. It's not just energy. There are a lot of other factors at play. And Claire asked Adam about cupboard staples like flour and pasta. I just want to come back to flour and pasta because you mentioned the war in Ukraine affecting the prices there, but also climate change was an issue. I remember from our conversation 
before about this. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Canada, another major supplier of wheat, particularly durum wheat, uh, which is most commonly used in pasta, its producers suffered drought in 2021 and last year. So that have an impact on, on harvests. We've seen rice production in Asia impacted by rising sea levels because paddy fields are getting flooded with salt water and that kills the crop. But oftentimes you actually see a kind of combination of, 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 of reasons for price increases and sometimes they actually almost contradict each other in a way. So I mentioned soft drink prices up nearly 14%. Part of that is because of CO2, which obviously is carbonated. Uh, prices have gone way up there because you need gas to, to make CO2 and that's more expensive. But um, they're also obviously very sugar heavy, uh, tend to be any soft drinks. Uh, the price of sugar has skyrocketed in the past year. Adam McGuire from Today with Claire Byrne. And on the Ray Darcy show, hugely popular on Instagram, Dr. Nicole LaPera was talking to Ray about healing and childhood trauma. My next guest is a holistic psychologist and best-selling author. Uh, she has an Instagram following of over six million followers. Her aim uh, to teach people to self-heal, work on themselves, and move on from their past. Uh, Dr. Nicole LaPera, thank you very much for joining us today. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Ray. Thank you so much for having me. Now, over 6 million followers on Instagram, uh, that's quite a staggering figure. How do you account for that, Nicole? It's mind-blowing to even hear you say it. Um, the way I account for it is I think I'm speaking to universal truths, um, whether it's the way that we're struggling, regardless of where we're tuning into the content from, or the way that we're healing. I think in terms of humanity, we are more similar than we are dissimilar. And I think a lot of the content that I put out is really speaking to those similar struggles and pathways to healing. So you strike a chord with people. Um, you give scenarios that are pretty straightforward and people recognise themselves in those scenarios. For example, being raised by an emotionally unavailable parent can leave us with a deep void in our adult lives. People recognise that and then they follow you and you help them to self-heal. That's basically it, isn't it? <laughs> yep, I would pretty much say that that is the case. Um, okay. We see so much of ourselves and other people and their journeys, in my journey in particular, being that person who was raised by that emotionally unavailable mother. Um, and again, I think when we feel alike, we feel a little less alone um, and empower ourselves to continue on our healing journey. Okay, so let's talk about your story then. You had this sort of awakening of sorts in your early 30s. Uh, it looked to the outside world that you'd everything going for you. Just, so just tell us where you were at in your life. Yeah, so I, I had finally reached the end of all of the boxes of achievements that I'd been so driven uh, to check throughout my life. I had a very successful private practice. I was living in the city of my hometown, very close to my family. I was in a committed relationship. Um, and when I look back on my childhood, I would have described it as healthy and normal because I had come from a two-parent household, my mom who was present in raising me and my sibling, though I felt so deeply alone, so deeply dissatisfied, unfulfilled, and if I'm being honest, not really even connected to that life that I was living and seeking to understand why, because I would hear similar complaints in all of my clients, no matter how much insight and awareness many of the humans that I was working with who came in my office had, we all kind of were feeling that version of stuck. So I sought to understand um, why, why it is that so many of us are suffering, why it is that so many of us are unable to make change. Um, and I was met with a whole bunch of research in terms of the human body and how important that is to incorporate on our journey and really began to shift then not only the way that I was approaching my own healing from a lifetime of anxiety, but the tools that I was giving not only to my clients, though, to the humans online. 
Yeah, so just talk me through then what you discovered about your childhood that you hadn't been aware of prior to that. I would have described my childhood as, as you know, very healthy um, in a lot of ways. So what I come to understand is that even though I had um, my caregivers were present, my mom in particular was present emotionally, um, she was largely absent of no fault of her own and even of no ill intention. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, in terms of my physical care, um, she was, you know, loving of me. She would show up and, you know, make sure that I was cared for in certain aspects, though, in terms of emotions, because she wasn't equipped from her own childhood to navigate her own emotional world. Mm. Um, I was left largely alone. And what I've come to realize um, in the field for so long, we applied the label of trauma to certain types of events. And when I looked back and hadn't experienced any of those events, I had assumed um, quite mistakenly that I wasn't carrying any trauma. Um, within myself. Though what I come to understand is when we don't have that emotional safety, that point of connection with another, you know, consistently present caregiver who is able to consistently be present emotionally, we can still suffer that same trauma because trauma really is the impact of our experiences. And when we are overwhelmed with stress and undersupported emotionally, we adapt in, in ways and we continue to carry those childhood traumatic experiences with us into our adulthood. So, so your way of dealing with all of that uh, was that you became the A student, the high achiever. Uh, you were good in school, you were good on the, on the playing field of sports. Yes, that endless kind of to-do list of achievements that I cited earlier was a protection in a lot of sense, because in childhood, my mom was able to be present and celebrate when I brought home the report card full of A's or when I was a star softball pitcher. That was when she was actually most present. So those aspects of myself, and this is what happens with all of us, anything that allows us to feel connected to those humans that we are dependent on, our caregivers in childhood, are the aspects of ourself that we feel are valid and worthy mm. and then to our own, um, you know, consequence, we suppress all of the other aspects of ourselves. So I continued and in, in a very socially acceptable way as well with achievements in a lot of our societies being validated. So thinking that that was going to help me by achieving all of these things, you know, feel worthy, feel enough. Ultimately, that's when I kind of hit that bottom, because when I reached the end of it, I still felt just as empty and alone and not enough as I had in childhood. Dr. Nicole LaPera on The Ray Darcy Show. And in the morning, celebrating her 19th book, Cecilia Ahern was Ryan Tuberty's guest. Now, welcome, Cecilia. Thank you. It's always good to see you. Um, and congratulations on your latest your latest book, which is what number at this point? Number 19. Oh, Yay. interesting. The number 19. How are you feeling about it? Really excited about it, actually. Yeah. Is, yeah. It, is, it, is it hard to be really excited? I don't, I'm not trying to be smart, but like every book, yeah. you have to be really excited. But Yeah. It, it, I mean, they're all very special, obviously. I, yeah, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, because you have to put your heart and soul into them but I feel like this one is even more special because I think I put heart, soul and emptied the tank into this novel so um, it, this one I'm particularly excited about I think uh, I've I had this kind of thing since the pandemic that I'm really really reluctant to ask people about the pandemic because I hated the pandemic Yeah I know <laughs> I, I actually feel I, look in, when it was happening fine we would get through this together we did it yeah. but now it's it's as good as gone 
I'm kind of like, I don't really want to talk about it. It must be like what it would be like in the war. You know, when you're yeah. just soldiers kind of, I won't talk about the war. Now, it wasn't quite a war, but there was something really dark about it. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel the same, actually. It's kind of, I kind of don't want to have that conversation. Yeah. But the thing is, I wrote this novel during the pandemic. Yeah. And during that second horrible lockdown that seemed to go on forever and ever. You know, that January that was great. Never ending. <laughs> Never ending. Never ending. That horrible one. So um, let's go there for a minute. Yeah, let's so we'll go, go there. there for a we'll, minute. We'll admit that we both don't want yeah. to be there, but we, for the purpose of this story, we kind of have to be because you talk about emptying the tank, you talk about the personal side of it and emptying everything into this book. To, to understand that, we have to go to the dark side of that horrible time. Yeah. Remi- kind of remind us what was happening there. These are the, the endless solitary walks. And, yes, yeah. Uh, well, I wasn't solitary because I had a baby. Well, of course. <laughs> so there was that as well. Um, well, there was that. We'll come back to that too. Yeah, of course. <laughs> there, yeah, it was. I mean, I suppose it was, um, I was homeschooling. I have three kids. Well, I was homeschooling two kids, had a baby. So for me, it was interesting because I was postnatal, perimenopausal and in a pandemic. Ta-da! Mm. Okay. So there was three fabulous things happening. Um, and it was January and it was grey. Um, so I wanted, I, I, I kind of feel, I would be quite an empathetic, sensitive person anyway. Yeah. Um, but I do feel that during that time I was highly sensitive. So... I think I need to talk about what the book is about to kind of make sense of, of where I, I, I where I, I was. I think that's a fair a fair assumption. Let's go there yeah. and then we'll come back to some of the things you just exactly, mentioned there. Yeah. All right. So that, so we're talking about empathy. Yeah. Uh, being able to understand, uh, read a room. Yes. Um, like this character in your book you're about to introduce us to. Uh, and understanding when somebody comes in and is feeling hyper happy, extra blue, uh, yeah. sees the colour. So, yeah. so bring us into that yeah. world. So it's about a character named Alice who has the ability to see people's moods and emotions in the form of colours around their bodies. Mm-hmm. So she sees auras in a sense. Um, and if that colour gets onto her, if it touches against her, then she can feel exactly how people are feeling. So it's not just seeing how people are feeling, but also feeling how they feel. Um, and it's about her trying to just navigate her life and carve out her own path despite feeling overwhelmed, easily overwhelmed by the people by the hopes, dreams, fears, hurt, pain of everybody else around her. Um, and it's her life story. So we meet her at about eight years old and it's all the way to her final days. How does a person live when they feel everybody else's stuff? And that's that's the story that we're telling. Um, yes. and, and then to go back to when I was writing it, um, I think, but I think a lot of people felt everybody else's feelings yeah. and the heaviness of that time. Um but in, I don't want to make it sound very dull and, and depressing because it's actually, it's about colour. You know, it's about how she sees so many colours around people. And um, the colours brighten up as we head yes, towards the Yes, absolutely. Well, and, yeah. and she sees people's joy as well. Yeah. Like she sees love, she sees passion. She sees pinks and reds. Yeah, and, all well as, kinds yeah. of things. And in, and in the book, I also gave the colours character and personality so that they've got movement. You know, some of them are swirling or twirling and spitting and there's yeah. layers and levels of colours. So I had to create kind of this language of colours. Um but that so that was where I was, you know, in this kind of grey time writing about colour and really escaping to this very colourful, lovely world that I was creating. But within the colour, obviously dark is a colour and yeah. and that's that's the uh, there's a kind of an underlying sense of that of yeah. the, of the depression and, yeah. and and feeling low and what have you. Yeah, well she, I think her um abilities come about because her mother is well, undiagnosed as bipolar disorder. So mm. her moods kind of vary wildly. And she is examining her mother every day to see what version of a mother is she going to get? Will she be cold and distant or is she going to be that warm, loving mother that she can be? Um, so she's reading her all the time. And I think this is how, as the writer, I think this yeah. is how her skill develops. Um, she's analysing so much that she's reading 
her mother so much that all of a sudden it spreads to other people and then it's everybody. Yes. She can read everybody. And Ryan asked Cecilia about her own health and well-being situation. The three P's you mentioned there, you said post... Par, Postnatal, yeah. post... Peri- what did I say? Perimenopause. Perimenopause. And pandemic. And yeah, pandemic. they are the three P's. The three P's. That's, yeah. what, that, that's what I was kind of like. Uh, did, is this something that happened in your own life then? Is that is that what you're referring oh, to? Oh yeah, that's me. Yeah. But that's... Um, I think that's... Yeah, I was quite hormonal like there were so many hormones going on and I was kind of looking for balance but I understood what it was like to feel that sensitivity and can I ask you about perimenopausal what 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 effect that has physically and mentally on somebody um I think as not a spokesperson for perimenopause nor do I want to be but as a spokesperson for yourself well I'm not really good at that either but uh, (laughs) (laughs) let's give it a whirl shall we I'll try yeah Um, if it's not too personal I mean say as much as you as you yeah no I think it's I think you know way back when they called it the change you know and I think that's the best explanation for it because you're just changing and you're just becoming this other version of yourself that you don't recognise and you don't really feel like yourself so it's kind of this quest to figure try to get back to yourself and then when you realize well that's not going to happen who where am I going and who am I so that's is it terrifying or is it discombobulating or is it deeply uh, uncomfortable how would you describe that that element of the emotion when you figure out what it is it's fine and how do you get there by by really great um uh GPs who listen to you and and figure out what's going on that you're not going crazy and there's nothing wrong with you um that this is you know, and that's to be honest, the honest answer. Um, yeah. I did a lot of things like I <clears throat> trying to get back to myself. Like I love nature. I love going for walks. Like and like the character going out to kind of get good energy from nature. Mm. And um, you know, I don't wasn't drinking, no alcohol, no caffeine. No, I'm trying to just balance my body. Mm. Um, so there's all that stuff, um, and that and, helps. And now, are you uh, where are you with it all now? I'm amazing. Now. Yeah, I yeah, can see that. Just, you look, you look you really see, well, I'm and you look, and you look happy, hot, and amazing. <laughs> as in, yeah. like hot boat ways. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was wondering. That was my next question. <laughs> but mostly, it's the rage and the bitterness. <laughs> yeah, well, of course you have to, yeah, and you have to channel that into. Um, but I have to laugh actually because um, a lot of it was I was just very angry. The poor kids, and. Um, but, you know, they give you a gel, a lovely gel to, to get rid of the rage. But, you know, you get kind of as angry as a man would normally be. But but we <laughs> but we get a cream <laughs> to get rid of it. What does a man get? <laughs> Nothing. They're just allowed to be angry. You know, you're just allowed to have that level that, of, that of testosterone. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know. and I'm like, why? I finally felt like my husband, but now I get a gel. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you so angry about? What? Gel, gel. You know, why are women so angry? Shush now, <laughs> shush now. Have There's gel. a gel and have your, your pills at night and you'll be grand. Crikey. So that's... That's kind of my my. So we medicate your your anger as as the fellas just. I wonder how other women feel about that. It's like I was like, why do we have to be uh, balanced? Why can't we just walk around angry? (laughs) (laughs) You're giving us some thought. I am actually Uh, live on radio. I appreciate that. (laughs) Here comes the water out of the mouth. Oh, Oh, pa, post uh, postnatal. Um, Let's just go there briefly. Just in terms, yeah. Tell me that. That's the the moment after you have a baby. Just (laughs) yes. Now that's the, that's a literal that's translation. That's what that means, yeah. Yeah. Did, did and you... It takes a while for you to get back to yourself. You know, you've had kids. Well, you're not physically, but you've had some. I know ro- where you had going. some role in it. I know where you're um, going. Yeah, it takes a while, and you just have to. So it was just different things going on at the same time. Yes. Yeah. It, it was, all. Yeah. Conspired to yeah, be that. Yeah. And pandemic. 
It's like a relentless uh, uh, series of events. But I was also a very happy person. <laughs> Cecilia Ahern on The Ryan Tuberty Show. And on today with Claire Byrne, crotch blowouts and bobbly knits. Repairing your clothes with experts Aaron Murphy and Joe Linehan. Aaron, the first thing we should do if we want to be more sustainable with our clothes, what's the first piece of advice you would give? Well, the first thing we should do is um, look at our the clothes that we already have because the clothes that we already have are the most sustainable ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, over the past kind of couple of decades what's happened is we're buying more and more clothes but we're actually wearing them less and less so I think everyone will be familiar with the kind of having clothes in their wardrobe that they're not actually wearing or they haven't seen for like six months or something you know even Um, and another thing that can happen is that we have these small kind of repairs that we need to do like maybe a button has gone or um a hem has come down or something like that and it's stopping us actually wearing it and using it. I have so, a collection um, of things yeah. and children's things that they might have just, you know, pulled the knee on something and I have yeah. a, a big stack of them that I just haven't gotten round to but you're telling us to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it's a brilliant thing to do and it's a brilliant thing to do in order to extend uh, the lifespan of our clothing and um, to get more use out of them. Mm-hmm. So shop your own wardrobe is shop the first thing. Shop your own thing. wardrobe is, yeah, the first thing to do. Yeah. And for you, Joe, how do you get the best out of what you already have? I think it comes back to exactly what you're saying. It's about not jumping to what we've been taught to do, which is literally when something isn't quite right or something's broken, just buying new. I think that's become the go to because Mm -hmm. it's so cheap to buy everything new. And really, we need to retrain ourselves. There are so many other options, even if perhaps there isn't something in your wardrobe that suits an occasion. You can rent it. You can buy second hand. I swap a lot of my clothes with my friends because we're all on this never ending wedding train at the moment. (laughs) Every weekend is another wedding. So we've, we've got into swapping it's just moving away from that knee-jerk reaction of something's not here or something's not right I'm going to buy something new Even if the rest of your friends have seen your friend wearing the dress that you're now going to wear this weekend to the wedding does that bother you at all? I don't think so I think a lot of people have an issue around you know if they've been photographed in something Yeah, they don't want to be seen photographed again but very rarely do you know a lot of your friend groups in overlap you can sometimes manage it and um, I think it's a brilliant way to extend your, your closet seven or eight different times Yeah and does it matter anyway if someone saw your friend in, in the same dress does it really matter we've got to get over ourselves No one is paying attention I don't <laughs> It can kind of be a badge of honour in a way as well you know like reusing a, a, an item again when And it is moving towards that I think for sure When we were talking about repairs in the office amongst ourselves we were saying the way we would always have seen our mothers doing the little repairs. Maybe, you know, I remember at nine o'clock at night, my mother might be hemming something or, you know, fixing a, a, a little rip or whatever. Have we lost those skills, Aaron, would you say? Yeah, to a great extent we have. I mean, we have been kind of outsourcing when we've got gotten used to outsourcing these types of things. Um, but there is such a huge amount that you can do with just a simple needle and thread. Um, you know, like the skills aren't very far from us. They're not um, very difficult. And there's so many great um, resources online and YouTube video- tutorials and videos that you can uh, look at to kind of figure out how to do things and what you can do with a simple needle and thread and the, the most basic, like the running stitch, the hand stitch, uh, is really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just remember in school being really bad at sewing and so I've <laughs> never had any confidence with sewing. But are you saying that shouldn't put you off? It shouldn't put you off with, as with everything, practice makes perfect, you know, and like the first one that you attempt, the first rep- repair that you attempt mightn't actually be to your, you know, the way you want it to be, but with a bit of practice, 
you know, I started like that. So um, <laughs> you can you can achieve great things. Yeah, I um I think I mentioned shoes at the start and that's that can be quite complicated for us to tackle. I can imagine just fixing, you know, a little tear. But Joe, going at a pair of shoes, do you do that yourself or do you take that those to the experts? I do. And it's so fascinating. I do go to the experts. And recently I do a lot of this kind of content on my social media, just giving people kind of ideas and advice. And I had an old pair of heels that I've absolutely loved and I love them. And they were very unloved. The, the sole had come off and I just decided to bring it to a local person to fix and I documented it and it was honestly the most popular video that I've had in the last six months like over 25,000 views people commenting I'm like guys we've always repaired shoes don't forget that you don't need to buy new there is someone in your neighborhood I think it cost me five euro they were done within 24 hours like ready for the weekend so again it's reminding people that we can go back to those old habits that we had many years ago that we just forgot Mm -hmm. in the last few decades Mm -hmm. and also also, there's something very pleasurable about being able to keep the comfortable shoes that you love Right. There is. I think there's a whole sentimental thing. I think, you know, having things that you can love for a long time, that you have sentimental value in, that you have stories in, that you have memories in, you know, that's so important. That's a large part of the connection that we have with our clothing and our identity. So keep being able to keep them for as long as possible and maintain those memories, I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And that's oftentimes, you know, through wear and tear, it's often our favourite things that kind of wear out in that way. Yes. Like the, the crotch blowout that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, that's because we've worn them a lot. Yeah, and, um, and the bobbly jumpers. And the bobbly jumpers, yeah, yeah, because we've worn them a lot again. So um, there's definitely ways to keep them in use yeah. and to be able to use them for longer. And, and how do you fix a bobbly jumper? Um, well, you uh, don't pick the bobbles off. Oops. That's not a good <laughs> good, good idea because you can end up pulling the, the knit, threads, the yeah. threads, yeah. So the best thing you can get actually um, bobble removers, which are kind of like shavers, mm-hmm. basically like and they'll you can go over the jumper um, with that. Um, you can also cut them off with the scissors or with a with a razor. Again, be careful with yeah, that. Yeah, be though. careful. Yeah, yeah. But it is doable and it is <laughs> Absolutely fixable, doable. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And as for hemming your jeans, Aaron had some ideas. Hemming jeans. What are your top tips, Aaron, for that? So hemming jeans. Yes. Um, a lot of the time the bottom of jeans has been treated and a lot of work has gone into kind of the wearing uh, down of uh, the bottom of jeans. Um, And it is something that we want to keep the look of. So actually you can keep the bottom hem of your jeans by folding it up on the inside and stitching it on the inside. So there's lots of, uh, there's a kind of trick to it, a little knack to it, but there's lots of tutorials online where you'll be able Mm -hmm. to, to kind of look at them and get the skills for it. Do you think we should all have a sewing machine? I would love if everyone had a sewing machine. That would be brilliant because it just uh, opens up so many possibilities. Um, You know, like I would kind of tend to look at repairs as an opportunity to embellish or to kind of put your own mark on something. Um, And hand stitching is obviously very easy because all you need to do is buy a a needle Needle and a thread thread, and then you're there. Um, Sewing machines take a little bit more kind of getting used to. Yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared. Yeah, actually, (laughs) like one of my favorite courses to teach in the Rediscovery Centre is an introduction to your sewing machine um, because I found that a lot of people have sewing machines that they're scared of, like you're saying, (laughs) and they just won't use them and they come in with their sewing machines and I'm able to kind of go through the basics of it with them and how it works and why problems happen and how you kind of can get over them and just get going Mm -hmm. again and it's really brilliant to see like 
people leaving the workshop just kind of going, oh, my the world is my oyster now. I can sew anything and, and just and having that confidence. How long does that take? Can you do that in a couple of hours? Yeah, it's a three hour workshop that I would teach. OK, normally. and people yeah. are confident at the end of that yeah. with their sewing machine. That's yeah. great, isn't yeah, it? Because amazing, it is such yeah. a valuable skill, because if you have that there and you know how to use it, as yeah. you say, you can you can kind of do anything. You can do any alterations. You can do more complicated um, uh, and kind of possibly with a better finish repairs as well. Mm. Um, yeah. Do, do, would you say, uh, both of you, that the clothes that our grandparents and perhaps our parents were buying and wearing were just more durable than the clothes that we have now? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I have still some things from my granny, some beautiful dresses that she would have worn to occasions. And luckily, I was the one in the family that had the exact same shape as her. So they fitted me the best. So I was the one who was lucky enough to get them. But they're still going, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, like they could be 50 years old yeah. or more. Um, so definitely from from that experience, I would definitely say that. But I think it is a kind of common, common uh, feeling that clothing uh, is made was made better previously. And Joe? Yeah, and it's having a massive impact. Like I was reading a fascinating um a report that came out last week by Clean Up Kenya and Wildlife for the Changing Markets Foundation and they found that actually we are using and going through such cheap clothing and exporting about 37 million tonnes of it every year to Kenya mm-hmm. and that's clothing that is of too poor quality to repair. So you can't repair it. It's usually made of plastic and it's ending up in landfill there because they can't do anything with it or it's actually being burned to heat water. So it's not just about us getting the most out of our clothing. It's like if we invest in clothing that lasts and that we can repair and love for a long time, even if it is donated or passed on, it's going to be used instead of going where it shouldn't. Exactly, going where uh, it shouldn't. Joe Linehan and Aaron Murphy from Today with Claire Byrne. And on Morning Ireland, Jackie Fox was looking at the effects of climate change in the Seychelles. Climate change is not a future problem for the idyllic tourist hub of the Seychelles Islands. It is jeopardising land and lives right now across the African nation. Rising and rougher seas could put most of the country underwater in a matter of decades and changing weather patterns could leave the rest uninhabitable. However, those living on the islands off the Kenyan coast are already noticing a difference. With the Simon Cumbers Media Fund, our foreign reporter Jackie Fox and RTE cameraman Paul Dehan visited Seychelles to witness what is happening. Skies and ocean both blue surround the small idyllic island of Kuza in the Indian Ocean. Tortoises roam. Rare birds nest. And sea turtles hatch and scamper into the sea. Oh, here we go. Yes, buddy. Scientist Chris Tagg is one of the very few people who live here. Along with some wardens, they protect the island. Kusa Island has been a sanctuary for endangered wildlife for decades. But now the island is itself endangered because of climate change. With our seabird work, last year we had the entire colony get wiped out in the first few weeks due to the stormy weather. We've had to translocate a lot more turtleness this year than in previous years. This is because the turtles are struggling to get up the beaches. The gradient of the beaches has become steeper or there's even now sand cliff where they can't actually climb it. Some mornings when we've woken up, you're looking at the beach and it looks just like a war zone. Just all the vegetation that's been pulled out has now just washed all off along the shore. It's soul destroying sometimes when you're seeing just, I mean, like we're seeing it for the, we're seeing it firsthand here. There's no ifs or buts about it. Um, 
yeah, frustration and sadness, really. This island is just one of 115 in Seychelles, reporting severe coastal erosion due to rising and rougher seas. When people talk about climate change and they say, oh, I don't believe in climate change, well, my answer is come and live in the Seychelles because you are faced with climate change every day. It affects all of us. NGO Nature Seychelles runs the island. Its CEO, Dr. Nirmal Jivan Shah. The houses that where the wardens live were 20 meters from the high water mark. Today, they're on the edge of the sea. Our very famous international field center, which was built in the 70s, is today abandoned because the sea comes right under it. Three years ago, there was a huge playing field in front of it where helicopters used to land. Now there's nothing. So this is climate change. On the main island of Mahe, Lisa Luport-Buiz and her family own and run a chalet business. But for how much longer? Our fence lines in our own properties that are on the beach, we've had to move already about two metres in because we've lost two metres of land. As a business, you are worried about how your land has just been eroded away, how your main business, which has been on the beach and seeing the marine life, is going to cope and is going to have a future. Melting ice and the expansion of seawater as it warms are not the only reasons why Seychelles is disappearing and why businesses like Lisa's are under threat. When it comes to coastal erosion, coral reefs are key. They act as a wave breaker protecting the shoreline. But most are dead, dying or barely surviving because of rising temperatures. Luca Sapanari is part of a team with Nature Seychelles trying to save them. We collect corals that are strong enough from reefs that are healthy and we keep them into nurseries that are structured that we have underwater. So they grow strong and healthy and once they are mature enough and big enough, we outplant them onto the degraded reef. But it's important to understand that this is not the final solution because if we keep boosting and triggering the climate change, there will be no chance for us to see the reef coming back. Reclaiming land would damage coral reefs, so flood barriers are now common sites around the islands. In my lifetime, I have seen beaches disappear, never to be seen again. Jackie Fox reporting from the Seychelles on Morning Ireland. And that's it for Playback Day. And you so mind yourself till next time.